0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and
1: all things Buffalo your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? Happy Casual Friday. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking it in. It is Casual Friday. That means, as always, I am joined by my good buddy, Aaron Quinn, from Cover One. Um, I'll tell <laughs> you. How you you know, that? We, we probably should have thought. <laughs> I should have thought a lot more over the course of last week on how this week might go. Never really, I don't know. I I should have envisioned. We talked to- <clears> Bills <throat> losing. We talked about it, but in in my heart yeah. of hearts, I just I, I never thought we'd be doing it this sure. week. But sure, I think that was the that's the like weird part of where we're at as a franchise,
2: and for us as content creators, um, it's a weird place. To be, because I'm still a fan, right, at at heart. But the the last couple of weeks, I have been talking to the guys at Cover One, like, what's our plan for the offseason? Because it can end really abruptly. And, you know, you've got to have a plan in place as a content creator for the weekly schedule. Like, where's everybody's head going to be at? We, Greg and I, did not do our show last night, Wednesday night. We wanted to take a week, breathe on it a little bit, and we'll pick back up here this next week. Um, But those are conversations you have to have. Uh, So I was a little prepared for it, which I do think helps to be where I'm at now, getting ready to talk to you. Um, But it's the unfortunate part of how the NFL works, man. One game just ends your season. There is no other scenario like this in major sports, right? Like when Stanley Cup finals, you're going to get a whole week and a half of, being able to be in a series and get yourself back in, but NFL man, it's you, that one bad game you don't show up. That's it, man. It's a wrap.
1: To to clarify, it's not so much that I never thought the Bills could lose to the Bengals. Sure. It's that I didn't think the Bills would lose to the Bengals in the fashion that they lost to them to to end their season. What was your feeling yeah. like? You know, let's put aside this podcast. Let's put aside your podcast. Put all that stuff aside. As a Bills fan, because you're a Bills yeah. fan, versus foremost. What's you feeling like watching that game. It, it was the right. first time all year where it just it was a really helpless like what in the world is going on type yep. of game. It was <laughs> yep. as as a fan sure. forget about forget about creating content as a fan it was really hard to watch.
2: Well, I will say and this is, I just, some people probably think I'm bullshitting here but I don't have two hats. Like I, I use the same the way I watch as a fan and the way I give my takes on the postgame show, they don't change, right? Like, um, it, this is just how I am. I really, uh, there's no shtick or anything in, in terms of that and covering the team. And so I was frustrated. There's no good feelings about getting your butt handed to you on your home, in your home stadium. You know, we heard a lot about we got to get these playoff games at home. We got to get these playoff games at home. Well, you have one, and then you get punched in the face. We've heard how the weather is an advantage where well, you had weather. Like, there's all these things that we've heard. And they didn't right. take advantage of it in the moment. Now, it feels terrible. I said it on the post-game show, it's worse than 13 seconds, in my opinion. Like, at 13 mm. seconds, I at least left that ceiling, season feeling like, man, the only thing that can stop us is a coin flip, or the only thing that can stop us is somebody else matching a generational performance. Like, And I felt really good there, where getting beat in this manner because everybody reacts to recency bias, that is a real thing. I'm guilty of it, too we're stuck with that final taste in our mouths. And that's going to be really hard. It's going to be a very difficult off season to move through the emotion of what we felt last to really where the big picture is for this team and where we should feel about this team going forward. Cause I think there's probably some people probably think I'm on the wrong side of this on, on the Homer high end side of feeling good. But I think there's all the people that are way too far on the other side. The answer is probably in the middle in the gray area, probably more to what Von Miller said of some of the tweaks and running it back kind of
1: thing. Um, you know, sometimes Dave Portnoy could be a troll. <laughs> I hate him. I think he's a scumbag. I, 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 I know how you feel about him, but I, I do want to pull up a tweet because I did. Sure. Broken clocks are right twice a day, too. Yeah. Well, this sure. is one of those broken clock moments. Um, he tweeted this during right after the game or that night. I honestly can't imagine being a Bills fan right now. There is nothing worse than thinking it's your year and then getting pummeled like that. You blink and poof, it's over. Mm -hmm. um i mean patriots had some of those oh sure for sure right like they got beat up in the playoffs a couple times it it years they thought they were champs sure absolutely man but we really did i i i did i thought this was the bills year you i I know you did as well i thought
2: last year was too
1: yeah yeah. um i will
2: say when we step back pat Mm -hmm. i did think this was the bills year, but like I was annoyed with some of Raina Bean's press conference and we can get into some of that here on the show yeah, but we will I do think there was some honesty in that especially when he was talking about I, I think people one deem success there's only one form of success in the NFL and that it's a Super Bowl and I think that's a fan and media mentality. I think within the NFL itself there's many forms of success and Super Bowl is the ultimate and that's the one that's glorified and everybody's going after and you will lose your job if you continually don't perform for it. But the Bills by historical measures, by if you compare them to pretty much teams across the board throughout the history of the NFL, right now, the spot that we are in as a fan base and our team is in, is still a good, successful NFL franchise. And, and people are going to pile on me that that's some loser mentality because if you don't win the Super Bowl, that's not. I, I swear to God, that's a fan and media narrative. It's way overblown. The, there's a very slim margin between what we consider to be great coaches and great organizations of all time and where the Bills are at right now, and it really is just a couple games, a couple plays. Like They're really close. I think overreacting to the results of the most recent game would be a mistake uh, in this case. I think there's concerns. I think you're probably going to bring up a bunch of valid concerns here today, but I th- I think some, for me at least, my perspective has changed when I go look up people clamor for Sean Payton. Let's get Sean Payton in here. He's won a Super Bowl. This was freaking almost 20 years ago. That he won a Super Bowl and he has not been successful since and he had terrible playoff exits with a Hall of Fame quarterback and a stacked roster that was way over the salary cap. And he still couldn't perform and match that Super Bowl run. The cachet that comes with a, a Super Bowl early in somebody's career, I think is overstated. John Harbaugh, Sean McDermott's been better than John Harbaugh over the last five years. He's been on par almost with Andy Reid. Andy Reid took six years. With KC, after 13 years of not making everyone in a Super Bowl, he went six years with KC, oh, and he went two and five and in the playoffs in his first six years. Like, how we deem success and the angst for a Super Bowl, I get, but we really, I think we still need to ride the course. There was a plan in place for this team. We We praise how meticulous they are. We praise all the things they've done for the past whatever months, but then we get these results and we want to throw everything. We want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I just don't think that's the right way.
1: I don't disagree with you. I'll say this though. And I I think this is part of the problem. Like from week one through the playoff exit, there are losses. You Mm -hmm. know, there were a lot of games where they, they, they almost beat themselves. I mean, talent went out at the end. They could have lost more than three games. They could have also
2: been a perfect, like they're the, a handful of plays and eight points away from Absolutely. That's what record. I'm saying.
1: You lose three games by eight points total. I mean, yeah. you go to the Miami game, half the team's out, and they're playing in 90,000-degree weather. Minnesota, they no. blow a three-score lead, and Josh Allen fumbles a snap or forget about three-score lead. If he handles that snap, bam, game over. And, and then in the second half, they just completely shit the bed yeah. a- against the Jets. But, yeah, to your point, you take away a couple plays, and you're potentially 16-0. and I know that sounds crazy, but it's not really that mm-hmm. crazy. It's not injuries aren't an
2: excuse because every team faces injuries. But this was more this felt like a Chargers year. You know, the Chargers just always get dealt these massive blow Mm -hmm. injuries. This for the Bills. And we haven't had that in three or four seasons. We we aren't used to that. And we lost all pros at multiple levels of the defense. Like not a lot of teams can overcome that and still have everything right in front of them. Right. They still had a chance to beat that Cincinnati team and get exactly what they wanted. And a really good team came in and beat them like that sucks. Um, but there's worse problems to have in the NFL right now.
1: Injuries were a very big factor for the Bills during the regular season. There's no question about it, but you get to the playoffs and you can make a very fair case that the Bills were on the better side of the injury issues with both teams they played. I mean, look how decimated Miami was, including their quarterback two weeks ago. And then you go into this game against Cincinnati where they're missing literally three-fifths of their starting line in a quarter. Well, I will say...
2: I've had this thought about a lot of people have brought up the Cincinnati offensive line and it was like they performed better than expected. Good on their coaching. Uh, kind of shame on the bills for not being able to take advantage of some of that. The bills also were again in that game without the Jones, who was just another sure, loss on, on piling on some of this. But also I think, um, when we compare the Bills unit, I think the Bills are also got a few backups along their offensive line. So I think like, okay, Cincinnati was playing backups, but I think the Bills starters are backup level too. So like that, <laughs> that I think true, was are kind of a draw. Like I'm not trying to be a jerk to the offensive line, but I don't think they're good. Like I, I think it is replacement level players. And so yeah, Cincinnati was playing the same Probably below average replacement level players that the Bills have and some of those
1: positions. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh you're right. And I'm getting a little bit off topic with where I was going with this, but I will say you put out a tweet this week. Um, by the way, Aaron Quinn 716, make sure you followed him. You put out a tweet, you showed a clip uh, of Roger Saffold just yeah. getting Brown
2: got beat pretty bad on that too.
1: He did, but man, and you just, I, I look at Roger Stafford and I'm like, holy shit, man. I mean, like you, literally you could have played left guard on that play and did a more effective job than he did. But anyway, getting back to what I was saying, yes, it, it, it the loss stings, but to me, they lost to a team that's very good. I, I'm not that shocked. I am just shocked. Well, I'm not shocked now that I've learned more about this team throughout the week and Hearing players speak and coaches speak and talk about a of this lot talk, of context. That they, a lot of stuff that they want to So Yeah, there's a lot of context, that maybe in the moment I didn't get to me. It was just I mean, like, we probably should
2: have seen the writing on the wall. Now, in hindsight, with the way they performed against Miami and, and New England, and New England, those were not good teams. That it shouldn't have been those games that they were. And then the week leading up, like it definitely sent signals that on Wednesday there was a lot of talk about, hey, we're doing a walkthrough, but we really got to be on our P's and Q's, like our coaches trusting us. That felt like very conservative and like, guys are tired. We got to manage this roster. We got to limp through here and get as good as we can. And that just doesn't feel like what Brandon Bean was talking about is get going into the postseason, trending in the right direction. And that includes energy. That includes how you're playing on the field and how you're performing. It seems like they just really ran out of gas after – everything that happened with everything, really, and then just pinnacled with everything that went on with DeMar. It seemed like they just kind of coasted on, hey, our Josh Allen and our talent is superior to these two teams we can play. But then when you go up against a team that is balanced, that is good, that is focused and has a legitimate shot at the Super Bowl also, I think it was just too much.
1: I want to put this out there. I'm not speaking for Aaron, so if he feels differently, he's certainly entitled to. I'm saying that, in my opinion, in hindsight now, I think the Bills exercised – they emptied the tank against New England. That was a very emotional game. It was literally just days after what happened to DeMar. But if you really look and break that game down, um, Naheem Himes' two touchdown returns was big. The Bills' defense that game did not look good. They gave up three touchdown drives of more than 74 yards or more that game at home Mm -hmm. against New England, a game that they desperately wanted to win to get the number two seed so they could get home field for at least two weeks. I think they kind of emptied out the tank. That Miami they also game, didn't
2: have – that was not a normal week of preparation, which also is not right. fair to judge a uh, team on. Even
1: against a bad team, you still have to want as close to a normal week. as. Mm-hmm. And then the following week, like I said, I mean, they kind of – not kind of, they did skate by – they escaped Miami at home with the third-string quarterback. That was a very uh, – it was an ugly game, but a surviving mm-hmm. advance in the playoffs. You know that, and mm-hmm. that's what they did. But you still and had
2: glimpses of even with the, the mistakes – Mm -hmm. this is the interesting thing about why do you think it was a burnout at the end here? Because bills made a ton of mistakes in that Miami game and the talk all week was man. If the bills don't beat themselves and they don't turn the ball over, there's nobody we can't beat in the NFL. And they did not against the Bengals. The problem wasn't turnovers. It wasn't Josh playing sloppy. I mean, I do think three and outs are turnovers and you had a handful of those early in the game, Uh, but it wasn't the sloppy play that we've seen allow teams to get into this game. Cincinnati just straight up beat. Every rep in the line of scrimmage, they had wins. Yes. Every rep rep uh, with defensive backs, they were more physical. They had wins. Um, It was just at all layers of the game. And when you watched it back, I think it was more... You hear what the players were saying, to your point, about the exhaustion and just the, they could sense the feeling and the energy leading into it. And then when you watch the tape, it does show. It's, it's there. It's all over the tape. And I do think especially on the defensive side of the ball, man, the lack of presence of Daquan Jones was so noticeable in, in Oliver's play and what the defensive ends were doing, especially in all pro Matt Milano's play and how Tremaine Edmonds was able to play in that game. And I think it was just the straw that broke the camel's back on the side of the defense. And then you had, you know, two you had Cam Lewis and Jaquan Johnson out there for a period of time like this. It just got so into depth. It got so into exhaustion when you needed to be at your best in performing and performing and peaking at the right time. And the bills just didn't capture that.
1: Issue. I would say this too. I want to be careful because absolutely. I, I agree. The bills definitely ran out of gas. And I really don't think you can dispute that, but at the same token, I, I mean, you hit on it. I want to make sure that Cincinnati gets a lot of credit too, because they're a very a good, good team, team and they yeah. played a hell of a game too. I want to, um, you know, just a quick tweet from Mike Catalan in Rochester. I, I thought he summarized the game in like 280 characters perfectly. He said offense, you know, the OL, the offensive line was handled by Cincinnati, missed on big plays. Defense pushed around by a backup offensive line, no pressure on Burrow, poor tackling, confusion in secondary. The coaching, Dorsey, no imagination. Frazier never adjusted. McDermott wasted timeouts, punted too often. Team not ready. I mean, I mean, I think that's fair. And again, emotional, you know, drainage. I I definitely think they were suffered from that, and it's legit. But um, I think that's I think, fair. I, I I thought they were just dominating, man. I think it's also day.
2: fair to Beans' point, and it's not a scapegoat or an excuse. I think to the my old fam- famous Mike Tyson quote, like everybody's got a plan till you get punched in the mouth, mm-hmm. right? And going down fourteen nothing, very quick. And I do think Brandon Beans, right? Like I know I felt confidence when Cincy took that first drive and went because I've seen it on tape a lot from Cincinnati and I've seen on tape a lot from the bills of giving up those first drives, but usually they get, they get a little bit of time to adjust and they clamp up a little bit. They, they stop it to field goal drives or they get a couple stops this time. The bills go three and out again, or they go out three and out two times uh, between possessions. And I don't think the defense ever really got a chance to settle into the game early on. And they, they, got the lead. And then it's hard to play from two possessions down against the team, like the Bengals that has balance. And that is playing more physical and attacking your, your uh, offensive line with different types of blitzes and getting you in bad positions. And so the middle started to press, like I think a lot of teams do this again. I think if we look back historically throughout other playoffs of really great teams that, you know, ought should have advanced, you see games like this where they just get outmatched and they just get outmanned. And, um, I think there is a lot of context and nuance. There is a lot of blame too. I'm not I think a lot of what Catalana said is true. Um they weren't getting pressures, right? There was confusion on the back end. They they didn't meet the moment again this year and I think that's a problem, but I don't think it's the problem that everyone or as terrible of a problem as everybody believes it is. I think everything's still in a pretty good spot.
1: Yes. I want to I want to turn my attention to cuz this is where I do have a problem and and again and- It's also easy, Aaron, to be a Monday morning quarterback, or in this case, a casual Friday, when they were a Quinn quarterback, okay? Plenty of days to digest it. But in fairness to me, I'm going to say this too. I had a problem with it at the moment, and I even talked about it before the game. Given what happened, that your team is running on fumes. Okay, and pretty much the team admitted that afterwards. Maybe we didn't know that until we heard from players and coaches and stuff. Which maybe some
2: of it's more uh, leaning into an excuse. I think people are feeling that way, that it seems like an excuse. But I think there's legitimate – if you're a human and you've experienced any of the type of stuff, you know that there's some truth to
1: it, right? I do, too. I I believe it, too. I do believe to some extent they were definitely running on fumes. I believe Matt Milano, the way he was in a locker room after the game. Yeah. But here's the thing. Knowing that, okay – And and knowing, and this is where I turn my attention to Sean McDermott right now, where I have a couple problems with him. Knowing that your team's running on fumes, knowing that you played this team three weeks ago, that the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday night football won the coin toss, said, "Ah, I ain't deferring, took the ball, drove right down the field, got up seven, nothing, got that crowd going. It was a crazy crowd that night. Just the, the fast start that they got. You come back to Buffalo for a playoff game and you win the toss. I have a problem with Shum, and I know, again, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback after the fact. If they would stopped Cincinnati and Cincinnati punts, then I sound stupid. I I get that. But to me, I thought the Bills made a mistake Mm -hmm. by deferring, considering that you're running out of fumes. What better way to get yourself going and get your crowd going than to take the opening kickoff, go down the field, score first, and, and send a message to them that, hey, now you're in our house, and, I, and again, I, I keep coming back to this point. It's easy to say that now in hindsight. For sure. But I felt, even at the time, I'm like, I remember that we, a couple of weeks ago, how quick Cincinnati started. I also know how slow the Bills this season have started on defense. And then they usually, you know, tighten it up. I go back to the Bears game. Lots of games where they just looked really bad on defense on the first or two drives. And then they would tighten up the grips. I right. thought the Bills should have taken the ball, try to score first. You get down there, you get up 3 nothing, 7 nothing crowd is completely i mean they were in it for the opening kickoff for the defense so i can't say like the crowd sure. wasn't in it but you get up early maybe they get your team going maybe get a little more confidence and maybe that raises the energy level but instead they win the toss they kick it cincinnati does exactly what they did three weeks ago against the bills and now you're like you know here we go man this team's really good and they just shoved the ball down our throat do you right. feel do, do, do you think what i'm saying makes sense or is it just purely me just being able to talk in <laughs> hindsight now
2: uh, I think you did preface that like there is a lot of hindsight baked into that because again, uh, if we take that approach where they get the the ball, it, touchdown is the best scenario, and I do and think I know that you're a,
1: and I know you're a double dip at the end of the half. Well, <laughs> yeah. I so t- t- touchdown like. is
2: the best scenario, right? Open the game, get a touchdown. I think there's a lot of data that points to teams that score touchdowns first, especially in playoff games, are going to probably win the game. Um, the other the coin flip to that is the. The worst case scenario to that is that you uh, you take the ball and you go three and out, which is what the Bills did when they did get the ball mm-hmm. and you give it back to Cincinnati and then they go score because then to this point, now you don't get the ball at half. You don't have an opportunity at the end of half to double dip. I actually think playing those results negates the fact that I believe this game was lost after I think Bengals went up 17 nothing because if I'm remembering correctly, it was they scored on the first two drives, and the Bills held into a field goal on the third drive, was it? Something like that. It was right around there. Yeah. I, I believe it was 17-0, yeah, and, and the Bills got the ball back. It was finally a, a stop by the defense. The Bills get the ball, ball back with, I think, right around two minutes, which the, this year they've been very good in the final two minutes of halves of just going down and getting points. You didn't even need seven in this scenario. You just needed points. You needed to activate a double dip because you were stealing a free possession. right? Like You're getting back-to-back possessions, at a team that's up on you by two possessions. So all you got to do is score on these two possessions and you're within the game. And now everything's possible. Right now you can readjust your game plan back to what you wanted to do. You're not three possessions back where you have to really press and play to get back in this game and everybody's trying to make that one play and that's not a good spot to be in. Being within a one score margin is where you want to be and they they did move the ball pretty well at the end of that first half and then they ended up having to punt. Um the, the offense stalled out there and I I do probably think you want that back, right? Like you want the way that final part of that series ended. But I, I, I think, again, a lot of people are arguing the results because people are saying go for it. And I do think if you go for it and get it, now you're really in this game, but the other scenario is they did punt and they pinned the Cincinnati offense and the Cincinnati offense still almost got into field goal range with like 30 seconds left. So the idea that you would have gone down what three, four possessions at that point, going into half and getting the ball, that would have been, a a even worse case scenario. So I know a lot of people are upset with a lot of Sean McDermott's decision making in this game. And again, I think there's a lot of blame to go around, but I think it's more, I just tweeted this out to um, we could talk about probably one of the upcoming changes. That's uh, right before we went live here. I think some of the changes are going to be more bottom up than top down because I, I think it is refining some of the stuff here. I don't think, you know, the timeouts you can question the punts that Sean McDermott did in this game, why you want him to be more aggressive when you're down They still were coin flips by every measure of data. They were a coin flip, and the 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 worst case scenario result buries you just as much as successfully completing it gets you back in the game.
1: I don't um I don't agree with the punts. More on that in a second. You were well, you're almost right. They they were down seventeen nothing, but they were down they were down fourteen nothing right away. It was it was touchdown three and out, touchdown three and out. Right. Then Minnesota got the ball. And the Bills only made two stops, which, by the way, I remember Tweenis at halftime, and this is pretty kind of sad, but Matt Milano obviously played great. Besides that, Dane Jackson was the only guy in the Bills' defense in the whole first half who even remotely made a play. That was but a anyway, great play. pass break by him. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Dane Jackson had a pretty strong game, I thought. Yep. But anyway, yeah. So the Bills go up, or Josh Allen scores on a one-yard run. It's 14-7. That was the only time in the game where it's like, all right, man, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, yeah. But then Cincinnati takes the ball. And they go then right the, back down the field, and right. they ended up with a field goal only because, again, right. Milano kind of jarred the ball just ever so slightly from Chase. Yeah, it's a touchdown, a review seven. touchdown that came back. Yeah. right? That right. was your
2: opportunity, right? You get a slice right. of momentum. Here we go. And they. It, there was a couple times in that first half and then start of the third quarter where they had, like, a little window to make something happen, and they just could not get that to happen.
1: Even Milano had a sack. That was, like, the one time they stopped – Cincinnati on third mm-hmm. down the whole first half. This is where I don't agree because I thought it was pretty obvious that the Bills forget about emotion or any of that stuff. Just physically on the field, they were not stopping Cincinnati. It was just looking and it was looking easy. And I felt like like that fourth and ten. I I get it. Fourth and ten is not an easy play to convert. I understand that, but you're down seven two. I'm not advocating right. You're down seventeen seven. You're you are down 177 you you can not stop them, and and everyone in the crowd and everyone watching TV knows that. You're not going to beat the Bengals. You're not going to hold them at three points in the second half and pull this out 24-20. you got to score. And it's Although the Ravens in, did. Right. Fourth and
2: 10. <laughs> I mean, teams have. That's the other thing about this is that all the data leading up to it was the Bengals haven't put together a complete game, but then they did, right?
1: Yeah, they did. It's fourth and 10 from the 41-yard line with 40 seconds left. I I just I I can't buy the punt. And it goes back to just – what it feels like, and then maybe somebody could show me some metrics and stats and prove me wrong. And if you do, I'll tip my hat to you. But it just feels like every year, the Bills, during the regular season, I think maybe they go for this. It's just like this team seems a lot more aggressive during the regular season. And then it gets to the playoffs, and more specifically, these last three years when they lose games. And Sean McDermott just gets in ultra-conservative mode. And I thought that not going forward on 4th and ten, I feel like if it was the Bengals and the Bills were up 17-7, and the Bengals were at the 41 yard line, fourth and ten. I feel like Zach Taylor goes for it. I don't have a problem with them putting on fourth and two in the second. But half. again, this is
2: like to the deferring. Like I don't I don't think it's an ultra conservative move to punt in this scenario. I think it's a 50-50 coin toss. It, um the Ben Baldwin bot that does out the fourth down decisions, mm-hmm. I think called it basically 50-50. So it wouldn't be ultra conservative to punt it. It's leans to the side of conservative the again the downside is if you do turn the ball over there which the offense did not give me a lot of faith up to that point that they would convert a fourth and 10 also against this defense we're talking sure. about how this defense was performing but the offense was also being manhandled and Josh Allen was running for his life I didn't trust Roger Saffold to block on a fourth and 10 where guys have to get downfield and develop so I do understand the decision um, again I would think we're playing the results but if we're playing the results if you Turn the ball over on downs there, and you give Joe Brown that offense that is dominating you a chance to put up seven with like 40 seconds left in the half. That's it. That's a wrap. Your game's over. You're going to, you have to play a whole another half of football without even having a shot.
1: Let's say, though, let's just say it's 50 50 that the Bills convert that. Even if it's 40 60, you're down 10. You're playing a team that is just moving the ball up and down the field on you. You feel, don't you, don't feel like
2: I feel you're like another, you're, you're
1: earning another possession at half. He's coaching. He's coaching to me. He's coaching out of a, a position of fear. He's more concerned that the Bengals are going to stop him on fourth down and yeah. add to their lead going into the half than he is about the Bills getting more into the game. And getting I the do ball think back.
2: there's a conversation I think that needs to be had with. I think this needs to be a, um that leadership council that Sean McDermott talks so much about. Here's where I'm frustrated. Right. You talk about this and player driven leadership and all this stuff. But then it seems to me from an outside observer that. That sort of influence that you want to give your players and that connection between the players and the staff sort of stops in big moments. And I don't think that they trust the players in big moments. I think they trust in the scheme and taking maybe a conservative approach and trusting in the defensive scheme that, yeah, they have been beat a few times, but at some point it's going to lock in. I think they don't trust the players as much as they do the coaching in the scheme. And I think at some point we need to have more of that player driven influence be part of The offense, like Dorsey, get Dawson Knox involved in the ways that are going to get Dawson Knox productive. Get Gabe Davis involved in the ways that are going to get him productive because there's a conversation this week that we, the Buffalo Bills don't have the roster and the stat and the people to keep up with these top four teams, and I think that's bullshit. So do I. I think it's that complete bullshit. I think they have one of the best five rosters in the NFL. I think it's on par with all those teams. I think usage and coaching was the problem in cases and they were good enough to get through a season and be 13 three. I think they're good enough to be run for another shot at the Super Bowl. If they do need to refine some of this and need to, somebody needs to be able to step up in that offensive room and defend. We need to get, we just paid Dawson Knox this money. You need to get him involved in the offense. Gabe Davis is supposed to be giving us wide receiver two production on a consistent basis. Why isn't this happening? That needs to either come from players or Sean McDermott needs to step in. But those are the issues that I have. Um, you know, with some of that lacking creativity, with some of where we're at.
1: Do you feel like with Sean McDermott now, based on what happened last year, look, a, a year or so ago, we had this conversation. I'm losing my mind. You're a little more even killed than I am, about 13 seconds. And I, I hate talking about it, but I'm going to because Sean McDermott blew the game last year in the last 13 seconds. I don't want to hear about Leslie Frazier. He contributed, sure, not once, twice Sean McDermott calls timeout. He had all the time in the world to say, no, 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 this is not the look that we want to have. Sure. And and Kansas City got two freebies to get in field goal range and send that game in overtime. And then it became about a coin flip. Should have never came down to a coin flip. So sure. anyway, if you're mad at Sean McDermott over last year's 13 seconds, which I am, and I think a lot of fans are and should be, when you look at this year and just again, I know the excuse. And it's not I hate using the word excuses because excuses just doesn't sound like the right word to use here. But right. It feels to me like there's more questions right now with Sean McDermott than answers when it comes to not, is this guy a great leader among men? He is. We knew that before the Cincinnati DeMar Hamlin thing, and we especially saw that in light of that. That's not to question. He's a, he gets his team ready to play during the regular season. They win a lot during the regular season, but he's not the same coach in the playoffs. It feels to me now, the competition is always better in the playoffs, of course, as well. You know, some detractors might point to the fact that the bills beat up on chumps these this defense builds up their stats you know playing backups i mean, and dvoa rookies.
2: accounts for that and dvoa still suggests that the bills are really good right like yeah, they, yeah
1: yeah yeah and, and i do think they're good right we now had a
2: uh, first place schedule this year so and it was harder than people thought it was in august because we thought those miami jets even the patriots games were going to be bigger cakewalks than they were so the bill schedule Actually, played out a little bit more difficult than I think people thought it was.
1: If you have questions about, if you had questions about Sean McDermott being the right coach to get you over the hump, take you to the promised land after last season, has any of that been answered this year? Not for me. Here's I, I think, think he's fired. He's not going to be fired. That's
2: yeah, not what I'm He's saying. not going to be fired. The hot seat doesn't start until if we if the exit's similar next year, then the hot seat starts. He's not even fired. Mm-hmm. You're starting the hot seat then, um, in my opinion. I think you're, the statement you said is wrong in that there's more questions than there are answers. We have way more answers than we do questions. The question is just a big one. Can he do it when he – get his team ready when he needs to the most and get them over that hump? I don't know. Like, I don't know if Sean McDermott the guy or not. I think
1: – Do you feel he of, coaches differently in the playoffs than he does in the regular season? It's do, you hard, notice, I think,
2: do you notice it? it's tough i mean they're very different scenarios than uh they've probably faced like the way they got punched in the this game wasn't really something that they faced a whole lot over the last year like i think brandon bean is right since back to that indie game where they really got beat up uh mm-hmm. and, and like pushed around the field and so th- that's a different situation i do think that he's made mistakes but again pat like, like i'm big on viewing our team in comparison Comparing them to their peers across the league, I would urge everyone to go back and watch last year's postseason, which people thought was one of the best postseasons in the history of the NFL because it was all one score games down to final possessions. It was great football. Coaches were just fumbling all over themselves that entire postseason into the play into the Super Bowl, man. Go back and watch the final five minutes of that Super Bowl. Neither coach wanted to win. They both made mistakes and put their players in positions to fail. Um, I think it's more common than people think. I think coaches are uh seasons end more like Sean McDermott's did more often than not. Only one team wins the super bowl every single year outside of bill Belichick. It doesn't happen with consistency. Most coaches go out like this. Um, we want to get that one. I don't know if McDermott's the guy I'm staying the course. They put a big plan in place years ago. I want them to tweak it as they go, but I'm staying the course, right? We got this cap corrected. We've got a good roster, I think it's a top five NFL roster. I, I want to see this out. Um, I don't think he's Marty Schottenheimer. Greg Vorce, cover one content creator, put out a great tweet of like, he has to go like one in 13 over his next few postseasons to get even cl- t- towards the record of what Marty Schottenheimer had in the postseasons. Not that same conversation. I think he's closer probably to Jim Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, maybe even a Sean Payton just on the offensive side of the ball in that, like that's okay to have sustained success and be in the playoffs and be a team that's competing each and every year. I think we look back at these coaches and these teams and think that it they had more success than they did. But again, I think most of them ended their seasons in similar manners or similar fashions to where Sean McDermott is right now. Andy Reid has I can, the amount of choke playoff losses that Andy Reid went through before he he and Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl is astounding. Um, I would still take those 20 years of Andy Reid coach teams versus the 17 years of going up and down with mediocre coaches and changing every time something goes wrong that the Bills already had. Like, I'm willing to ride this out. There is a a spot where we got to move on from McDermott, but, man, I think we're a couple years away from that conversation.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate – That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.
1: Sports fans who like to wager, which is pretty much everyone these days, I'm here to tell you about OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one-stop space on these interwebs to compare odds, live up to the minute, look no further than OddsTrader. Why is OddsTrader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them, you're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting the underdogs or profiting the most if you're going to go with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different sign-up codes and promos from the sportsbooks to get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, the Odds Trader app gives you the player stats, key game stats, injury reports, projected game day weather, which could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a bet tracker so that you can keep records of all your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're into betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to OddsTrader.com slash BlueWire. Again, that's OddsTrader.com slash BlueWire. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets you've referenced the buffalo bills being a top five roster a couple times and i completely agree with it i will say though this past the, year i don't this, know what it will look like the one area that that concerns me and, and you talked about this on twitter you talked about a little bit on the show the offensive line is not good enough just just yeah. flat out um Forget about that. They didn't even have any injuries going into the playoffs. I just don't think this line is good enough. I think Morris is solid at center. I think Dawkins is all right at left tackle. I never thought he was a Pro Bowl tackle, including last year when he made the Pro Bowl. Bates had a nice end of the season last last year. He was, yeah. this year. Roger Stafford, he, he's one and done. I just I don't see any scenario where they bring him back. Spencer Brown, I'm going to talk about him more specifically in a second because Brandon Bean made it a point to talk about him during his press conference. I'm a season ender this week, but I'll tell you on the other side of the ball. And yes, Daquan Jones, absolutely. Good point. You made huge, huge loss. I would almost Probably say you know, the pickup of the off season now in hindsight too. Sure. like, yeah, fantastic. And I'll tell you right now, I, I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say this. And again, I mean, Vaughn, sorry, and, Vaughn and, uh, obviously
2: was the pickup of the Aussie, of but the, the way in Daquan influenced everything around him. Sorry.
1: Yes, yes, for sure. And um, again, it's easy to say this now, but I'll tell you what you can have back, uh, kappa and jonah williams and let me have daquan jones for that game because i think he does a yeah. a lot of things he anyway here's the point i was getting to and i remember this before the season joe marino from lockdown bills he took like 10 of us and asked us to rank buffalo bills players in order of importance from one to ten and obviously everyone josh Allen was number one on everyone's list. and then Not after that there, it yet. would vary yeah, that's right. One person didn't have him number one. Don't want to get into that right now. But anyway, 9 out of 10 did. And uh, I love you, Jay Spence. Anyway, all right. Um, everyone else from there, it varies. I had number two on the whole list of all the players on the team. I had Ed Oliver. I said. And most important? Most important to the Bills' success. And last year, I thought he was starting to take over games at times, and I'm like, all right, man, this kid is going to break out and become on that level of one of the top four to six defensive tackles maybe in the NFL. Didn't happen. I don't know if he peaked last year. I don't know what is going on. I know he had a couple injuries this year, but he gave the bills, and let's just call it what it is, dude. He gave the bills zero in the playoffs. Zero. He gave the bills zero against the Bengals. Yeah, I think he had a half a tackle. It's just unex- – and I know stats can be so overrated for a defensive tackle. doesn't always tell the story. Daquan Jones is a perfect example of that. And Oliver's got to do more than what he did. He was not good enough for the Bills down the stretch. He was terrible for the Bills. It, may, maybe the Miami game he did okay against the run, but he got no pressure on Skylar Thompson. He had the biggest gift sack, actually, I've ever seen in my life. Literally unblocked, and, and then he got a sack last week. But he was garbage against the Bengals. I'm telling you right now, At the 50 – 53 guys on this roster, the guy that I'm probably most angry at as a player is Ed Oliver right now. I thought he gave him nothing. Anyway, my point was this. You're right. Top five in the NFL roster, yes, but they're not good enough in the trenches, especially the offensive line and more specifically on the defensive line, Ed Oliver. That's my take anyway.
2: I think you're too harsh on Ed Oliver in this season. Again, I think um, when we've reflected on it, the injury was significant. That was, what, like three weeks early in the season. I think that stymied some of the production uh, the way he plays that that type of leverage and ankle, like you'll see him in on film take on a double team, plant his knee into the ground and like push up. Like the the way that he plays, I think that ankle injury bugged him for a little while, which probably looked worse for production for him. But even watching through that Bengals game, man, I saw a number of times where he was generating pressure. And here's the problem. I said it all week leading up to that game. If your pressure isn't resulting in sacks with Joe Bro, it's almost a liability. Right, because he's, he plays so well under pressure and he's able to manipulate pockets. And in those scenarios, this is the Jerry Hughes conversation that we had for years, where Jerry Hughes was getting pressures and winning those matchups and he was performing well individually. But I think the defensive line just, again, I came back to more disappointing of AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, not so much Shaq Lawson because he wasn't brought back to live up to his pick uh, yeah. status, but some of these guys that you needed somebody to develop. In, and these were the moments, end of this season was the time for somebody to step into the role that they were drafted to be in, and nobody did that. I think Ed's played really well with Daquan. I think he's very disruptive, and I think if you had this defensive line, again, you can't make the excuse of health because every team faces it, but if you're lining up, I feel way... How much better do you feel about Von Miller, Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, and Groot versus... Ed Oliver with grew without a premier edge rusher. And he's just kind of a regular good, solid contain use my length guy with some below average rotational defensive lineman and a um, one armed Jordan Phillips and Tim settle, I think was another one that towards the end of the season here, um ran out of gas because i thought he played really well and would be big part of this playoff push but he was pretty silent and getting pushed around for his size but ed i think still gave it his all i still think i love ed as a player um maybe the contract isn't as high as i thought it was going to be last year the way he was looking but that might be a benefit to the bills i'm i'm still in on ed oliver still think he's a good havoc wrecking uh defensive tackle we got to remember that the the way we saw this defense last is a bad taste in our mouths. But again, every metric, DVOA, how they stood up to other teams, Uh, they were the highest run stuffing team in the NFL. That's a defensive line statistic. Um, Matt Milano making an all pro and Ed Oliver getting people to, fu- or not Ed or Tremaine Edmonds finally getting people to say, hey, yeah, let's pay this guy, is a direct reflection of when your defensive line was healthy, how it impacted how it, everyone else was able to play, right? So, Again, I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater because we saw a poor performance. I don't. My big concern is, what's Von Miller look like next year? We just saw Trey White. Pa- fans were real impatient with Trey White not coming back right when his injury happened, or coming back a year from when the injury happened. I think people are anticipating that Vaughn will be earlier than that just because of the way he's talked but I think that we probably have to anticipate not getting Von Miller back until a full year we know the Bills are conservative with this stuff we know they're not going to let player pressure push him onto the field what's the Bills defensive line look like for 12 weeks of a first place schedule next year with this same excuse sort of built in where okay well we still don't have a premier pass rusher to go with group to go with this defensive line and that's my big concern heading into next year it's not ed oliver not living up to where he's supposed to be it's i want to get this unit together the way it's supposed to be
1: yes i still think ed oliver is supposed to be at this point a star player
2: but you take tj watt off the um pittsburgh steelers defensive line here throughout this year right and you saw a huge decrease in what they were able to do and they still have good defensive tackles they still had good players but they operate at a different level when you remove a piece from
1: it. Well, let me ask you this. So he's get, we all know he's got his fifth year option already. He's, I think he's guaranteed like 10.7 it's somewhere between 10.3. It's lo- less already. than
2: Wilkins or uh, Quentin Williams, I think.
1: He, do you or think Williams, the bills Wilkins. like I would have said a year ago that he's going to get that fifth year option in priority one or two, if not Edmonds, priority two would be let's get at Oliver locked up long term. I'd be stunned right now if he gets an extension this offseason.
2: I don't know how the staff feels on him. Um, I'm sure they want some of the growth that fans have been clamoring for. I think part of the, also the issue here with that Oliver is the Aaron Donald comp that has just kind of followed him around his career as an undersized guy that was supposed to perform like Aaron Donald. And I think that's crazy unfair. I think Aaron Donald might be one of the best defensive players I've ever seen in my whole life. Uh, And so comps do hurt. I don't think he's ever going to be that, but I do think he adds a level of disruption from the interior that you don't have. And so, I don't know if there, maybe he's not a long term extension type of guy, but you really, I don't trust right now Eric Washington to draft and develop the next Ed Oliver when I think Ed Oliver has the talent to be a disruptive player on the interior.
1: That's fair. Okay. All right. That's fair. You could say that you don't trust the Bills. You don't, maybe you don't trust Brandon Bean, who does not have a, a, a great success track record when it comes right now to taking defensive linemen early in this draft. Maybe you don't trust him to start over and take a defensive tackle. That's fair. I, I'm i going to move on because we only got a limited amount sure. of time, yeah, and yeah. I can probably argue with you with – We got of all off-season, Pat. For, for an hour, we do have an all-off season. I just think he was better last year than he was this sure. year. So um, let's just move on from that. Brandon yeah. Bean at a press conference. Um, Anything stand out for you, you know, from – I he mean, went typical amount of time. Um, I, I said earlier, I kind of hit it at it. He talked about at length kind of Spencer Brown and fans – I think he called you guys um, scouts or, or what do you call it? Was he creator. talking about us? I think he was talking about cover one. I think he was talking about you, Greg, and Eric personally and no yeah. one else. But, but anyway, he reverenced the fact that he was injured this offseason. He did not have an offseason program. It's only in his second year. Right, um, he right. was not healthy and that he thought mm-hmm. he played better in the second half. But he, he noticed um, and he obviously has seen it and, and heard it. Fans very down on him. So he went out of his way to talk up. Um, Spencer Brown. Although he did say he would bring in competition, but I I kind of got the gist that I think Spencer Brown's still your right tackle going forward. Said he'd love to have Hoyer back, but sure. I just I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, I don't think there's any way that happens. And then I don't know. Kind of what I took away from it was just mainly you could almost expect the status quo. What mm-hmm. what what were your takeaways from from Brandon Bean?
2: Uh, yeah, I was torn. Uh, I put out a tweet a little bit yesterday because I listened to it live and had a weird kind of feeling about it um it didn't seem like how i feel usually when i listen to brandon bean right so i listened to it back again yesterday morning over coffee and i think he made a lot of good points that got missed on fans in terms of perspective right like i do think brandon Bean and sean mcdermott have a good perspective of where the plan is and what they see internally and, and how the nfl works and their comparison to the rest of the league i think they are on par i think they also see their flaws i think it's a fine line of um you know me, Pat. I don't care about public accountability. I don't right. need the bills to get out here and point fingers and give fans right. exactly the, you know, I don't need that fresh meat. Yep. You were um, like that last
1: year. I remember that. i on very the well.
2: same way. I do think that they'll handle some accountability in, inside, but what I don't want to be is bullshitted, right? Like, I don't want you to come out and spoon feed me kind of the, the BS. And I know that that is the PR plan. For the Buffalo Bills. Um, and So I get it, because I do like it in a lot of instances that they don't give you a lot of information, but um, I really wanted maybe a little bit more conversation about uh, how he feels resources should be utilized in terms of protecting Josh Allen, or in the trenches. Not necessarily, hey, we made these. I don't need him to say this guy was a failure, that was a failure, but kind of owning to the what we've done and the way that we've done it maybe hasn't been good enough to get the results that we're looking for because we're in the same spot here again. And um, so I felt like there was maybe a little bit of BS to some of what he was saying, and I don't want to be fed. It felt a little used car sales many at times. Um, but I think his perspective was fine. The Spencer Brown stuff's an, a little annoying because it feels Cody Fordish, right? Like it's a guy he picked and he's going to come in and defend. Um, I think there's probably some of those that context matters. Uh, even to the video I posted about Roger Saffold, I think you need context. I It's a little unfair of me to post a, just a bad rep out there, right? And I think there's probably some good reps on his film here this year, but um, well, ultimately it hasn't been good enough. And I've seen Spencer Brown get walked back a ton. I think he's just too tall. I don't think he has the right size to play the position. Um, I think they bet on traits and maybe they haven't won. Maybe he'll pan out. Uh, but what I don't want to be is just told – or kind of condescended to talk down to. And that's where I felt the, you know, that you brought up that comment about social media scouts and stuff that come,
1: came off a little bit of like, very uncharacteristic of Brandon we, being who, for a guy that
2: says he doesn't pay attention to social media. That's a little bit of a weird comment. To also say, that, yeah, they, they see everything. Why? Um, And it felt to me maybe because I'm involved in, and in, I'm not a, a online scout. I don't claim to be, I'm involved in this, it felt a little condescending to me and a little bit of like gatekeeping where like we're in the NFL. So we have the information that you just don't have and don't understand. And I think that's total bullshit. Uh, I think scout is a low paying, really hard job where you're traveling constantly. I think a bunch of dudes that I work with and have worked with in the past NFL teams would grab in a heartbeat, but their jobs are better, right? Like, so don't give me this like, Oh, uh, you guys don't understand really what's going on. And I don't want to hear it. That's a condescending kind of gatekeeping mentality, which I've never heard. For Brandon, B. He, Brandon right. Bean is that I love Brandon Bean. I don't want this comma. I trust him still implicitly. I think he's one of the best GMs in football. I think team, most teams in the NFL right now, Pat, would love for the top of their team and the power structure of their team to be Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and Josh Allen. I okay. think a lot of teams would give anything to be in the position in. I was just a little, this is how I felt about this press conference in the moment. It was like, don't BS me and don't condescend
1: it was weird. I'll tell you, man, there's not a lot of coaches and GMs that I actually enjoy listening to. And Brandon Bean is actually one of them. And I agree with you, too, by the way. It's like, um, and this doesn't happen often, not in the Buffalo media, at least not on the football side. It happens a lot on the hockey side, quite mm-hmm. frankly. But big-time mainstream media, that would be the equivalent of them saying, you know what, you're a podcaster, you're a blogger. And don't, don't waste my time. You know what I'm talking about? Right. It was kind of big-time. And Brandon Bean sort of did that a little bit. with the like, uh, Yeah, uh, we're pros. We see these guys right, every day. Like, right. Okay. Now, I will say this too. I thought it was a little unfair. I mean, I watched the whole thing you did too. Like, the national media kind of took one quote that he said and they misrepresented it about Jamar Chase. Like, he was dissing the Bengals saying they. He was basically saying we don't want to, to get to a point where we're a bad team for sure, a We're in a position to draft a guy in the top five. That's what he was saying. And hey,
2: I, my beef with that comment, glad you brought that comment up, Pat, because that was another spot where I did have beef with, but not what the beef on Twitter was. People were like, yeah. oh, he's insulting the Bengals. He wasn't he insulting was the Bengals really at really all. Big. Shut up. Yeah. People are so sensitive about that type of stuff. That wasn't what he was doing. Um, but it was a cop-out to this conversation about Ed Oliver. He did have a high pick. He picked Ed Oliver. And to your point, he's not an all-pro. He's not Jamar Chase level at his position. And so to me, it felt a little bit of a cop-out and he was copping out on Gabe Davis a little bit. And the fact that Gabe Davis hasn't produced to the level of a T. Higgins saying like, oh, we we don't have these types of weapons because we had to pay a Stefan Diggs. Well, kind of bullshit because I think you have the weapons and the people internally have not put them in a position to give you the type of production that these other teams are getting out of their weapons. And so have that conversation. I don't need you to roast Ken Dorsey, but don't... That it felt that one felt, again, like a bit of a cop-out. Use Carl salesman many like, well you know well you know what that tr- that pick that you traded again plain hindsight that pick that you traded for stefan Diggs, who now you're complaining a little bit in the media about that contract that you got to pay out to him well the minnesota vikings got justin jefferson for that pick on a rookie contract who's equivalent to jamar chase so your whole premise your whole idea was a cop out and it kind of had huge holes in the logic didn't make sense so yeah there felt like a couple moments of cop outs in this one and it's weird because i again I respect the shit out of Brandon Bean and I that would be those would be things I would like to ask a little bit you know more uh, and, and push a little bit more to to get a little more clarity from him on that and didn't seem anyone push back.
1: I want to let everyone who's listening or, or watching this on YouTube know that I think next week I want to focus more on the players. I don't think this roster is going to have the turnover that a lot of um, We've well, got a lot of free fans we do. Yeah but I still don't think there's going to be significant turnover. I think
2: you see a lot of similar parts. The turnover you see will, won't be right. um, huge improvements in those areas. It'll be similar players.
1: Exactly. Right? And I, next week I want to focus on that. And I do want to spend a lot of time next week talking about um, Gabe Davis. I'll tell you though, the angriest of fans are calling for John McDermott's head. Let's not waste a second of anyone's time. That shit ain't happening. It would be a very big surprise if either Ken Dorsey or Leslie Frazier are gone. Never say never, though. And, again, we are taping this Thursday. Now we're into, uh, like, late morning Thursday. Jim Salgado, the safety's coach, it was announced literally a minute or so before we started yeah. taping this show, got fired. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, my, maybe my statement was wrong when it comes to Dorsey or, or Frazier. Do you think it's just going to be a couple or maybe even just one low-level coach who gets um, ultimately gets the ax because of their performance on Sunday? Or do you think maybe this might lead to more?
2: Yeah. So I tweeted out right as we were going live here. I think this one was a little weird to me with Salgado because he was praised. Ton I didn't know more. they had a safeties coach, by the way. I'm going to be honest. Well, <laughs> um, it used to be uh, Babbage, right, was the um, safeties coach. And then. I think he moved into the linebacker role. I'm trying to remember all the movement they had, but, and then Butler became the DB coach, but Salgado was your nickel coach a couple of years ago when Taron Johnson came into the league. And this was, I think the first where they had a specialized nickel coach. I don't, I don't think teams are really doing that in the NFL. And he was praised a ton for the development of Taron Johnson into this nickel role, which really, Again, I think a lot of people talk about Sean McDermott being this conservative dude in a lot of ways and fortunately shows up on the defensive side of the ball. It's trending, right? It is. You've now seen how much success the Bengals had from the nickel position with Mike Hilton. Like It is revolutionized a little bit the way the game is played. So I was surprised to see him be somebody that, that takes the blame. But safeties were running around a little bit confused even at jordan Poirier confused um this one's a weird one though there's a lot of injuries like you lose a micah Hyde and jordan poirer's patched up i don't know how much is on the safety coach there but um i do think it the bills are going to take a bottom up approach right T- tinkering the bottom part of your roster your depth pieces working through some of these maybe positional coaches. I think Eric Washington should probably be on the chopping block because he's been given A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Ed Oliver. These young assets have been poured into this line, and it took us having to go out and splurge on Avon Miller to start to get any type of production from this unit. Um, I think Root's good. I don't know that Eric Washington made him good or not, right? Like, we don't know that he's able to develop these guys. I think he's one. I don't think Cromer's there yet, even though the offensive line seemingly can't, develop guys I think you've got to give him a little time and he's got the resume to be there i think chad hall is still probably good I, I don't think you see a ton of movement but you'll see some tweaking here along the bottom of this roster and these coaches well and
1: we'll spend some time next week talking about tweaking and, by, and i would say too by this time next week if coaches are let go that it'll probably happen by next week so we'll have a
2: uh, more. yeah i think here it. through the next couple of days this is happening. I think Brandon Bean, and Haley, uh, his wife tweeted out about like, they're leaving. like They're packing up and getting ready to leave Buffalo for the winners. I think business is almost done here at the end of this week.
1: Um, yeah. What, one other thing too. And then I want to get to our fill in the blank, our fun little segment that we're ending these shows with. Um, a lot of people, a lot of bills fans specifically big bad at Bengals players and fans mm-hmm. over, you know, their reactions and how they, you know, calling them sore winners, whatever. Now, I want to, and this isn't really a question for you. It's kind of more or less just a statement. Eli Apple over the top with what he tweeted. you know, the DeMar Hamlin symbol and stuff like that. And he apologized after that sounded like an agent sent him a tweet and said, you better get this shit out right now. But anyway, that aside, players talking shit, fans talking shit. I have 0.0 problem with it. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, Aaron, if this would have been the other way around and the bills, went to Cincinnati and smacked them around in the playoffs. If you don't think for two seconds that Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson would have been you know, cutaway shots of them on the sideline, talking shit, Stephon Diggs talking shit, it's what players do. I got no problem with the rest of the Bengals and what they said and how they acted and their fans talking shit because I'm sorry and I'm not picking on Bill's mafia here because all fan bases are the same to some extent. I remember early in the year when the Bills didn't punt. No, oh, you you guys punt. Can't imagine, can't relate. You know what I'm saying? Fans sure. talk shit. The Bills, if you don't think Bills fans would have been talking shit to Cincinnati had they smacked them around, you're freaking crazy because they would have, just like our players, as part of the game, as part of the sport. So get over it. You sure. you don't want it to happen. Play but have your team play better. Uh yeah. Eli sure. Apple aside.
2: Eli Apple aside. For sure. I this uh There's a conversation that's always going on in the Cover One DM group where uh, there's a few of our guys that really engage with fan bases from other teams, and I just don't ever see it. I really don't. I see people tweet about, like, oh, this fan base. I just don't engage with the fans of other teams. I am a fan. I just don't. Either I don't see it or I ignore it or whatever it is. Right. I just don't care. I don't give a sh- like. I know how obnoxious some of our fans can be, and I don't want to deal with the loudest, most obnoxious fans of the other teams. I just don't do it. Right. This week I did it um and it was terrible uh but it was because of Eli Apple I can't take Eli Apple out of it because no, I ended no up bullshit. I ended up looking like one of these baby fans that is mad because we lost and that's not the case at all like I I respect the Bengals I've given them nothing but praise but he was over the line and his bullshit went too far and he's not that good of a player he's a mediocre cornerback that celebrates overthrows and he's been pretty <laughs> below average True. his entire career and he talks so much shit like he's Deion Sanders and I did, I was emotional. I think maybe now in hindsight, um, the Cancun on three was not a DeMar Hamlin reference, but God damn it. The way he put it out there with the heart hands um, made it seem like maybe he was poking a little bit to go there and then dialed it back when he saw the response. So kind of my, I, I, I don't want to swear on your podcast, but I'm kind of I'm still in an F him mode and I can't wait to see him fail again. Cause I know it's going to happen. He's not a good player. He's going to get roasted at some point in the next couple of weeks if they continue. And I think he is what, he kind of poured gas into a situation that was bound to combust on Twitter. Um, I think if you removed him from this situation, it would have just been the normal level of yeah. uh, KC fans are annoying because they win and they talk shit. I don't mind shit talking and here bills. Fans need to learn if you're going to interact on Twitter right now. I don't, I think KC and Cincinnati can talk all the shit they want. Pat bills fans. We can talk shit to the bank, to the uh, uh, jets, dolphins, Patriots, Patriots. The Patriots. We can talk all those. The, they all need to shut the, Meet and sit down. I don't want to hear anything from any AFC East teams, but those other teams at the top, we need to wait till we uh, overcome that hump before we get back in. Shit talking.
1: Eli Apple's comments made me go from being all in. I wanted the Bengals to beat the Chiefs to kind of having no horse in the race. I really don't give a shit about either of those teams. Yeah, go NFC. They can both suck it, but yeah, man. Yeah, let's go Eagles. The rest <laughs> of the players, though, I'm telling you, man, don't tell me Shaq Lawson would have been like, "Go, oh, better go get your refund." Because they were talking about, you know, buying tickets for Atlanta for the yeah, next. Yeah, everyone's month. petty for sure. It is, and, and it would include Bills fans and, and Bills players as well. So let's just call it what it is. All right. Anyway, let's um end the show with uh, we started this last week. Each week, I'm going to ask you three questions, basically a fill in the blank. Might be sports, pop culture, your life, things like that. It's an opportunity, like I said, for fans to just get to know. little bit more on the personal side about us so here's the first one my favorite subject back in high school was blank skipping class and hanging out in the
2: hallway i was not good dude i was not good at high school i was i was a uh barely scrape by i did graduate but it (laughs) wasn't pretty it took a lot of work um i just didn't give a shit like i like girls and playing basketball and that was it um so not a lot of subjects i guess one thing I did have, I don't know if you ever experienced this, uh, because I wasn't a good student, we had a vocational school mm-hmm. in my uh, area where multiple high schools would go. And I took a marketing class there. And there was a, a marketing group called DECA. Um, and I became part of that. And actually, I think it is what saved me and allowed me to graduate because I couldn't do those things that I would like to do if I didn't keep my other grades up. Um, and so, but it was really cool. I traveled around the country a bunch. I competed in like marketing competitions. And I've, those skills have sort of translated uh, in life later here. Um, I didn't end up going to college for it or anything, but it was fun, and I think it kept me graduating high school. So marketing uh, was uh, – but not a lot of kids got that opportunity to have a marketing as a subject.
1: I um, I wasn't a good student academically, but I liked going to high school. Like yeah. I liked the socializing aspect. Oh, I, I loved like, yeah, over- that. Girls, just being in school, it was school dances. I was not a good student either. I I guess I would say probably American history because it was one of the very few subjects in in school that actually I would have any interest in. All right. uh, Not counting your birth name, the name you wish your parents would have given you at birth is, and I'm going to tell you before you answer that. Whatever name you pick is going to be your, your uh, name on the display here for uh, next YouTube side for next week's. show. I don't,
3: I
2: honestly like this was a. I've never thought of my name, like maybe that's weird that I never like. What would I, Why did my parents name me this? Or that? I I like my name. I think it flows well. It, it balances well. So I like where I'm at. But um, I always tease that when I had a kid and my wife was like, "You're you're an absolute idiot. That is not happening. That I would name him Apollo." Um, and so I, I'm picking Apollo, Apollo Quinn. Apollo Quinn. I like it. It Apollo feels like Quinn. Apollo Creed. I love the Apollo <laughs> Creed character. As much as I hate the Rocky movies, I love Apollo.
1: That is fucking hilarious that you said that more, more on that in just literally a minute. But anyway, Apollo Quinn. All right. Um, There's no reason for this. It's not even as a cool name. For whatever reason, I've always liked the name Trevor. Like I almost named my kid Trevor. The only reason why I didn't is because a couple friends of mine had kids before me and they named their kid trevor so i was like i'm not gonna do it also because of wrestling my so my son's name is shane right i the name she my wife pushed Seamus on a on us hard so Seamus moran would have been a pretty cool name i i kind of like my name too though i i I, maybe it's just because we've had our whole life yeah and we're used to it but all right so uh trevor moran here and and apollo quinn let's get to the (laughs) let's get to the last question um an actor not a question a statement an actor that seems absolutely born to play the role they did would be like i'm gonna total
2: cop out here pat i'm going against the rules i'm taking the entire cast of harry potter <laughs> did you ever read those books
1: i didn't harry read potter them,
2: books in the movies uh like very few times, I feel like in my mind, does a book translate to film, and what I think people look like, and what the characters are going to be. And goddamn, dude, like the way I got here was Severus Snape. Um, I think that that character was like perfectly cast by how I read him in the book. But then I started thinking, like, well, so was Harry, and so was Hermione, and like all the and the Fred and and all the Weasleys. Like that whole movie was perfect. Whoever I know, Joe's a big casting guy. Whoever casted that kudos to them so i'm copping out <laughs> all of harry potter
1: i started laughing when you were talking about um being apollo quinn because you said you hate the rocky franchise which is funny because my answer to this question is sylvester stallone for rocky anyway yeah, yeah. I, I know you hate the franchise i obviously don't i just think he was perfect for the role a uh a, a beat good, up, up mental timing, a, good, a tough you know i don't want to see it but a tough Italian, good-looking dude who's dumb as a box of rocks and talks like it as well. It just he—he was—I can't imagine anyone else. And again, if you don't like the franchise, maybe you don't give a shit. But right. I do like it. I just—I can't ever imagine anyone else having played Rocky yeah. besides My- Sylvester Stallone sort of where else my mind went for
2: like a runner up was basically anything Jim Carrey ever did. I feel like roles were literally written for him and Chris Farley, like role movies were written around them and their look and their humor. And so everything was perfectly cast. Yeah, I agree.
1: All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode. Um, You know, normally I say, make sure you check out Aaron and Greg. Cover One we'll Podcast. Um, you know, after every Bills game and during the week for a preview game. So let, let people know though. Like, do you have a, a semi set schedule for how uh, things going to be? Not for Cover One so much, but at least for you and Greg specifically going yeah. forward now for a while. Yeah,
2: I think you'll see some rotation of us taking some time off here coming up. But uh, we will be back. At, I believe we're going to stay on Wednesday. So Wednesdays at nine. That's always been our time slot. We'll probably stick there and uh, expect a,
1: at least content coming out every week. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron. Be back. New episodes next week. Take care. Have a safe weekend.